Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. Hi, this is Lenny Goldberg, and thanks for joining me today. Well, the Biden administration is freezing bank accounts of what they call violent settlers, and Israeli banks are too chicken not to comply. The State Department accuses these Jews of um, carrying out attacks against Palestinian and Bedouin civilians, and what they say, engaging in actions, creating an atmosphere of fear. And this is a precedent that he declares a national emergency and implements measures to what he calls to combat settled violence. And he signs an executive order to not only freeze their assets, but to prevent United States individuals and companies from providing any services to these settlers. Because you got to be careful of those extremist settlers who perpetrate violence on the Palestinians. Biden says that it's reached intolerable levels and it's a threat to the peace and security and stability of the region. One of these extremist settlers is David Sharvit, the brother of Harel Sharvit, the soldier who fell in Gaza, who I talked about a lot last week. What do they do to his brother? Not only did they freeze his bank account, they closed his pay box account too. And this thing is going to spread. Now they're freezing accounts of the violent settler types. They'll do it to anyone eventually who voices opinions that they don't like. Even established settlement leaders too, they'll go after them. The net is going to spread. And you have to know that this is Esau and Yishmael coming together to gang up against the Jewish nation as the prophecies say will happen. Yeah, we would like to think that America is against the Islamists because the Islamists hate America too. Could be. But in the end, they'll combine forces and they'll descend on Jerusalem. And it's not hard to figure out a scenario how that can happen. Now, the thing with Esau, America, they do it with a smile. You know, Clinton and Carter, they're always smiling as they force Israel into suicidal concessions. Clinton with his Shalom Haver, they talk about peace and Israel's right to exist. They're not like the Ishmaelites, the Arabs, who are bloodthirsty and say what they mean, that they want to massacre the Jews in Israel from the river to the sea. That's how the Ishmaelites work. But Esau, he does it in a nice way. The rabbis compare Esau to the pig, the way he works. You see, there are two signs of a kosher animal, split hooves and chewing its cud. Those are the two signs of a kosher animal. If an animal has split hooves and chews its cud, then it's kosher. Now, having split hooves, you can see that very easily. But it's hard to know, at least at the beginning, if an animal chews its cud. That's a sign of kashrut. You can't detect that easily. Now, the pig is the only animal that has split hooves. He has one sign of kashrut, one kosher sign, but he doesn't chew his cud. So you don't see that. The pig is the only animal that has that. So what is he doing? He's showing you his split hooves, saying, look, I'm kosher, I'm kosher. But he really isn't. And that's the worst kind. Because he's a hypocrite. He smiles at you, but he actually stabbed you in the back. And that's why when Esau had his confrontation with Jacob, it says in the verse that Esau kissed Yaakov. But if you look at the word and he kissed him, you see these little dots that you don't see anywhere else in the entire Torah. And the Chazal teach us that he tried to bite his neck like Dracula. But Yaakov's neck turned into marble and Esau's teeth fell out. So obviously that's trying to convey a certain idea. But the point is this. The kiss is really a bite. What the Jew has to understand 
is that the nations follow their own self-interest without regard to their feelings about Jews. It has nothing to do with anti-Semitism sometimes. It's a matter of their own self-interest. And because there are only interests, the word friend and ally really has no place in international politics because today's friend easily can become very naturally tomorrow's enemy. The minute that circumstances change and self-interest so dictates. So it's not just Biden or his handlers anyway. Biden is just an empty suit. It's not just they're anti-Semites, but they're motivated by self-interest. And it's not in America's self-interest for Israel to take over Gaza. Now, I know what you're thinking. Trump will get in and then you'll see that America will be our friend again. Well, first of all, who says that Trump is going to get in? Who says he'll be able to run it all? And who says he'll be able to win? It's not like the GOP has done anything to stop election fraud. But forget all that. Okay, let's say somehow they let him run. He gets in and he wins. But look, Trump did a lot of great things in his first term. You have to be grateful. But he's a businessman. Remember the deal of the century he wanted to implement? That wasn't good for us, to say the least, because you have to understand that he has to placate the Arabs too. He did a lot of good for Israel. And now he's got to do something for them. It's a business. It's a deal. That's why it's called the deal of the century. So yeah, the Almighty let him win in 2016. And it was terrific. And we appreciate it. But it's the second term where you assess where the president is really holding. And if he had won, and of course I'd prefer him to Biden, but he would have pressured the heck out of us to give up 70% of Judea and Samaria. That's what the deal of the century was all about. And so the point is, you can't put your hopes in the Gentile. You know, the first time I ever saw Rabbi Kahana, it was in the early 80s. Ronald Reagan had just become the president of the United States. And I was psyched for him because he had a great record for Israel as governor of California, pro-Israel. And so after his lecture at the campus, I spoke to Rabbi Kahana and told the Rav that now Reagan's in, so it's going to be okay for Israel, right? And Rabbi Kahana told me, he said, you just can't trust anybody. He was basically saying to me, calm down, calm down. Don't expect too much. And the fact is, Reagan was a terrible president for Israel, really. I mean, he might have been great for America, but for Israel? If you read the book, The Prime Ministers by Yehuda Avner, Yehuda Avner was the Israeli prime ministerial advisor for four prime ministers. He was the speechwriter and a diplomat for Levi Eshkol, Golda Meir, Yitzhak Rabin, and Begin. He really gives an insider's account of all those events that were going on then. He was like a fly on the wall. And wow, the chapters on Reagan and Begin? Reagan was brutal. When Menachem Begin wanted to enter Lebanon and launch the operation Peace for the Galilee, whose goal was to destroy and uproot the terrorist infrastructure over there because they had been bombing northern Israel, just like today. See, nothing changes. Villages in the Galilee were under constant shelling of the Soviet-supplied artillery and Katusha rockets by the PLO. Tens of thousands of men, women, and children, they had to be in shelters. And Begin and Sharon wanted to go in there and push the terrorists back 40 kilometers. So you see, nothing's really changed on the northern border. So Menachem Begin, the prime minister, enters Lebanon to push the terrorists back so that the Israeli citizens can live peacefully somewhat and get back to their daily lives. And Ronald Reagan, despite his pro-Israel record that he might have had and all the nice things he said about Israel and his right to exist, and he's a big fan, he harshly criticized Begin every step of the way. They sent in the American Marines and that was a disaster. All Reagan kept saying is that you can't have this cycle of violence forever. You have to make peace, just like you made with Egypt, peace. Israel's got to make peace with their neighbors. 
In other words, he was given the same line that every other U.S. president spews. It didn't matter how many Jews were dying. And here's part of a letter that Ronald Reagan sent to Menachem Begin after Israel launched their attack on Lebanon. When I learned on the morning of June the 6th that Israel's forces had launched a massive invasion into a country whose territorial integrity we are pledged to respect, I was genuinely shocked. In the past, I tried to make clear that I shared your concern through the implications of the situation in Lebanon for your security. But repeatedly, I have expressed a view that diplomatic solutions were the best way to proceed. Anyway, Begin is trying to justify himself. He's trying to play up the Soviet angle because he knows that Reagan doesn't like the Russians. And America criticized Israel just as they do today for killing innocent civilians in Lebanon. The same thing. But the point is there was constant pressure by America on Israel during that war. Now, people who look at it superficially will say, well, Lebanon was a horrible war. It was like Vietnam. We got stuck in the mud. A lot of Jews got killed. It went on and on and on. And nothing was accomplished. But they forget something. Israel had tremendous success during the first two days. In the air battles, our Air Force downed 100 Soviet Syrian MiGs without a single loss to ourselves. It was an unbelievable success at the beginning. We had the PLO totally on the ropes. Arafat, he was a dead man walking. Israel could have shot him dead anytime they wanted to. He was on their scopes. It was only the pressure of Reagan and Haig who said, stop, stop, stop. That's how Lebanon became a disaster because America stepped in and didn't let Begin and Sharon finish. And in June 1981, when the Israeli Air Force, they raided the atomic reactor near Baghdad and destroyed it. They destroyed that nuclear reactor, thereby eliminating mortal danger to the people of Israel. Well, when the news about that got out, there was a worldwide uproar, including Ronald Reagan. He said he was thunderstruck and he was blindsided by the Israeli action. And Reagan even wrote in his diary about it. He said, I swear Armageddon is near. And the Reagan administration, which was led by the Jew-hating Secretary of State Caspar Weinberger, they threatened to suspend all military support for Israel. They made Begin grovel. Anyway, that's Reagan. And so the point is, it wasn't that Reagan was a bad guy, but he's got his own interests. He didn't really change. He's the same Ronald Reagan who always did what he felt was right for America. And it's only insecure Jews, desperately needing love and the belief that the Gentiles love us. They're the ones who placed Reagan on a pedestal and now they put Trump on a pedestal. What they don't understand is Trump is the president of America. He's not the president of Israel. And so his deal of the century wasn't going to be good for us. But what did we expect him to do? Yudan Shamron, to throw out the Arabs and, and let us annex all of Yudan Shamron. That's what you expected Trump to do. We don't even want to do it. Settlement leaders don't talk about doing it. They don't talk about throwing out the Arabs and annexing the land. We're just holding on to our little settlements, trying to build another neighborhood, another house. And we use Arab labor to do it. So their Arab villages are growing and growing all around us. So nobody says anything about that. So the Arab villages are getting bigger. Their presence in Judea and Samaria is growing all the time, getting stronger and stronger. So if we have no aspiration to take over 100% of Yudan Shamron, Judea and Samaria, and make it ours and annex it, what do you want Trump to do? He sees the status quo. There are tons of Arabs here. What, you want him to throw them out? So the deal of the century really just was keeping the status quo where 70% of Judea and Samaria does belong to the Arabs who we keep around here 
because we don't even aspire for their expulsion. And so these aren't bad people. They don't hate Israel or Jews, but they're not friends. They have their own jobs to do as president of the United States or the secretary of state of the United States. And so there are no friends in international politics. There's self-interest. Today's friend can be tomorrow's enemy, and it's regardless of that person's political views or personal decency. It could be a very decent person, but our interests and their interests don't necessarily align. Rabbi Kahana used to say that Jews shouldn't be liberals nor conservatives. They should be knee-jerk Jews. And as far as the nations are concerned, what's the rule? Respect them and suspect them. Now, people have no idea what damage this reliance on America does to us. How this dependency totally emasculates us. And I'll give you an example. In 1975, the United States, they suspended the delivery of jet warplanes to Israel. That was a pressure tactic. During negotiations, they wanted Israel to withdraw from the Western Sinai. And they suspended military uh, deliveries. And this was one of many incidents where the supply of American weapons, they tie it to concessions in Israeli policy. You know, we'll give you the weapons if you comply with what we want. And so it started to make sense back in the mid-70s for Israel to develop its own domestic arms capabilities. And the idea was that Israel should be less dependent on the whims of other countries, especially the United States. And not only that, when you make your own weapons, you can tailor the production of those arms to your specific needs and your specific requirements. Now, in the past, Israel had developed capabilities. And that's why Israel developed their own Merkava tank. But of course, America didn't like that because America wants us to be dependent on them. And the same thing happened with the famous Levy fighter plane. If you know the story about the Levy fighter plane, it's a heartbreaker because what happened was in the late 70s, Israel was developing a plane that was intended to surpass the American manufactured F-16. And Israeli pilots had flown the F-16 in combat and they were familiar with its strength and its flaws. And so Israel was ready to manufacture an aircraft that was tailored for the needs of the Israeli pilots. Okay, so this Levy fighter plane project, it really started to move. And it was so close to happening, so close that in May of 1986, Israel actually held a coming out party for the Levy. And in this coming out party, they showcased this futuristic jet fighter, the Levy, that was going to propel them into the 21st century. And this was a big deal. There were more than 2,000 invited guests, including eight American congressmen who were for this. One of them was Congressman Jack Kemp, and he was very instrumental in approving the funding and helping the Levy get going. And so you have this coming out party, the Israeli Air Force Band is playing, and the leadership of Israel was there for the first test flight of the Levy prototype. So, this, so the Levy airplane project, it really had momentum. And it seemed like it reached the point of no return, that they're going to go all the way with this because they're having this party. They're having a test flight. But, 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 there began a debate in Israel. Why? Well, it's got a large budget. Israeli citizens are getting taxed heavily on this. And so the detractors started to argue that the Levy is too big a burden on Israel's struggling economy and you got to cancel the project. But that wasn't really what stopped it. What really killed the Levy? In the United States, they were worried that the Levy, it was such an awesome fighter plane, it would create competition in the U.S. military export market 
And they started to put pressure on the program. And you know what? You know who stopped it? Who taught Peter the Levi? You know who taught Peter the project? A guy named Dove Zakheim, an Orthodox Jew who served as U.S. Deputy Undersecretary of Defense under President Reagan. What did Dove Zakheim say? He argued that the Israel and U.S. interests would be best served by having Israel purchase F-16 fighters rather than investing in an entirely new aircraft. And, and so in 1987, they canceled the levy. Not only did we lose out on a tremendous aircraft, but they laid off 4,000 employees, 1,500 engineers who had put so much into it. And a lot of these engineers left the country to apply their expertise elsewhere. But that's the short-term consequences. In the long run, the ripple effect is we continue to cave into American pressure because we don't make our own stuff. It causes us to be increasingly dependent on the United States. Do you know that as a condition for receiving American aid, Israel isn't even allowed to purchase arms from any other country? So we are at the mercy of who's ever sitting in Washington. Now, just one more thing about the Levy airplane, the Sabotage Levy Project. There was a book written by Dove Zakheim. Yeah, that's the Orthodox Jew in the Reagan administration who torpedoed the project. And by the way, Moshe Aarons was so upset about it. This was Moshe Aarons' baby, who at the time was Israel's Secretary of Defense. And he called Zakheim a traitor, but that's another story. Anyway, Zakheim writes a book. It's called The Flight of the Levi, Inside a U.S.-Israeli Crisis. Again, what was the title of his book? The Flight of the Levi, Inside a U.S.-Israeli Crisis. And he writes an entire book about this whole thing. And again, he was described by the Israeli defense minister, Moshe Aaron's, as being a traitor. Now, how do you know the Levi would have been a great thing for us? I mean, you could say, well, you know, maybe Israel was right to ditch it. You know, it was a burden on the economies, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? You know how you can know that the Levi was going to be a great thing for us? Because on this book, Flight of the Levi, which I'm looking at right now, it says forward by Caspar Weinberger. Oh, Caspar Weinberger, a known enemy of Israel, the one who gave Jonathan Pollard a life sentence in prison, the one with the Jewish name, but he's not Jewish, he's an anti-Semite. He's the guy who's writing a forward for this book, The Flight of the Levi. And so this is such a proof that it was the anti-Israel camp that sided with the sabotage of the Levi project. And so what I'm trying to say here is we are forcing ourselves to be dependent on the United States. If Israeli technology and production is capable of producing this dome that protects us from missiles, can't we make stuff that makes us go on the offense too? Of course we can. But we're addicted to the American aid and we can't advance. And that's why we ditched the Merkava tank and the Levy. All we had to do was just bite the bullet, suffer a little bit. If we had made that airplane, it would have been the greatest airplane in the world. Last week, I talked about Binyamin Zef Kahana's Haggadah of the Jewish idea. And I want to bring a gem from that Haggadah where he relates to what I have been talking about today. We all know the famous four questions, that are asked at the Seder. And the final question that's asked is like this. On all the nights, we eat sitting upright or reclining. But on this night, we all recline. Everybody's heard of that. So I want to read part of Binyamin Kahana's commentary on this. This is what he writes. Reclining is one of the ways we show that we are free men, b'nei charin. 
Another demonstration that we're free men is the mitzvah not to break a bone in the Paschal sacrifice. So there are all kinds of symbolic actions taken to infuse into the Israeli nation its true identity. And what is that? We are not slaves. We're B'nai Chorin. We're free men. But we have to take this symbolism, which is expressed among other things by the fact that we recline, we have to take it out of the realm of mere symbolism. We have to live up to these ideas in practice. Certainly in this generation, where we are in the land of Israel, we must finally shake off the slave mentality. We must stop educating our children as if they live in a ghetto, weighing our every step in the scales of what will the Gentiles say? And if we don't do this, then all the symbolism that we perform this evening has no meaning and it becomes a sterile, empty action like those of a trained monkey. That's the commentary. So that's really the Jewish idea on one leg. The whole point of the mitzvot is to convey an idea. If you recline during the Seder and in the meantime, or the next day, you're talking politics and you say, hey, what are we going to do without American aid? Then your reclining means nothing. I mean, you could put a chimpanzee in a suit, sit him at the Seder table, and he could also recline. Okay, so that's from the Haggadah of the Jewish idea. And you know, it's funny. Last week, I put up a, an ad for the Haggadah of the Jewish idea on my Facebook page. And I got lots and lots of likes. Hey, don't give me likes. What are the book? Because this book will put your Passover Seder on another level. So like I said, order the book. Write me at LennyGoldberg40 at gmail.com. LennyGoldberg, the number 40, at gmail.com. Or you can find it on my website, LennyGoldberg.com. But if you write me at LennyGoldberg40 at gmail.com, you can give me your address. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send it to you first. You don't have to pay for it right away. I trust you. Because my goal is to get this thing out. And so I'll send the book out to you if you give me your address. I'll tell you how much the postage was. The book itself costs $25 plus shipping. So order it through that email. That's the best way to do it. And I'll send it to you as fast as I can. And then we'll correspond an email and I'll tell you what it cost. Last week, Jonathan Pollard was interviewed by Joshua Wander for like an hour. And the subject was anti-Semitism in America. And wow, as usual, Jonathan Pollard is the most compelling interview. I mean, he's the smartest guy in the room every time I hear him speak, no matter what the subject is. It's like he's got an opinion on everything and he's articulate and well-informed about just about everything. Plus, he's got great jail stories, sitting in jail for 35 years. Those are always interesting. But his jail stories always have a message to it. The guy has been through hell and back. He's not your typical talking head analyst. This is somebody who put his money where his mouth is. And so I want to play a little bit of what he said to Joshua Wander in relation to the anti-Semitism in the United States. I don't know what it will take to wake the American Jewish community up. A Kristallnacht, by then it's too late. Currency restrictions where, you know, you've been waiting for 20, 30 years to sell your house, take the money and come to Eretz Israel and buy a new house or whatever. Well, you can't do it because there are currency restrictions now. Very quietly. And it's already started. So you want to come with your American citizenship? Are you crazy? Look what they're doing now with this executive order. Soon, well, not soon. They can't at any point in time. Secretary of State or the Secretary of the Treasury under this executive order by President Biden can say, you know what? 
Yeah, you got American citizenship also. You're a dual national. But we saw you wrote a letter to the editor in the Jerusalem Post defending our right to settlement of the land, of the territories. We're going to freeze your account. And we're going to deny you access to the United States. We're going to ban you from returning. They can do that right now. You really want to live in a country and be a citizen of a country that can do that to you just because you believe that we have the God-given right to resettle the land of Israel? Hashem, the Kodesh Baruch who gave us this land, and I can't affirm that because some anti-Semite like Blinken decides that they know better and they will tell us how to think and how to act. Really? You really want to live in a country like that? There is no difference between the United States and every other Galushian country we've lived in. No difference. Oh, it looks different. It feels different sometimes. There are tremendous laws on the books. There's this myth of acceptance in the country. But at the end of the day, we are tolerated visitors. The United States, to one degree, has been a, a wonderful halfway stop for Jews. But it's outgrown its willingness to accept us. That's Jonathan Pollard giving a pretty serious Aliyah pitch. That's it for me. Don't forget to listen to my Bible classes, my classes in Tanakh, Lenny Goldberg's Bible classes. You can Google that. It's a podcast on Spotify and other platforms. Because once you learn the Tanakh properly, everything suddenly becomes clear. And I'll be back next week, same time, same station. See you then. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel.